I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This Day in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to This Day in History Class, a show that shines a light on the ups and downs of everyday history. I'm Gabe Luzier, and in this episode, we're looking at a pivotal chapter in the Philippines' long struggle for land reform and an end to American occupation. The day was May 2nd, 1935. Thousands of Filipino peasants staged a rebellion in the agricultural region of central Luzon. Most of the rebels were poor tenant farmers who had struggled for decades under a government that catered only to landowning elites. The growing political tension between the classes finally boiled over on the evening of May 2nd when a few thousand members of the Sakdal independence movement decided to mount an uprising. Just after sunset, the partially armed peasants gathered in the countryside surrounding Manila. They promptly split off into groups and began seizing municipal buildings in 14 nearby towns. The rebels took control of at least three communities before government troops arrived at sunrise to snuff out the revolt. When the smoke cleared on the morning of May 3rd, nearly a hundred revolutionaries lay dead and half as many others were wounded. Their brief rebellion, later known as the Sakdal Uprising, was suppressed just as quickly as it had started. But it wasn't forgotten. Frustrated peasants would remember it for generations to come, even as they attempted uprisings of their own. By the time of the Sakdal uprising, the Philippines was no stranger to agrarian unrest nor to revolution. In June of 1898, the country had declared its hard-fought independence from Spain, putting an end to 333 years of outside rule. Unfortunately, the newly formed Philippine Republic didn't last long. 
Later that same year, the Spanish-American War ended with a U.S. victory, and part of Spain's terms of surrender was to turn over control of its colonized territories, including the Philippines. The fact that the Philippines had already established itself as a free republic was summarily ignored by both parties, and the people of that nation found themselves shunted from one colonial master to another. American occupation proved far less hostile than Spanish rule, but still, the Filipino people hadn't fought a revolution for a more temperate form of colonialism. They continued to express their desire for independence, and as a result, the U.S. promised to step aside once the country was on its feet again. However, more than 30 years later, the transfer of sovereignty still hadn't happened, and in the meantime, a corrupt interim government had taken shape in America's shadow. The same nationalist movement that had waged armed rebellion against the Spanish became eager collaborators with the American occupiers. That's because the movement was led by the Philippines' elite, a group of wealthy landowners who happily accepted positions in the new bureaucracy and then promptly set to work building a system that benefited them first and foremost. As you might imagine, that arrangement didn't sit well with the agrarian peasants who constituted the majority of the population. Many of them worked as tenant farmers and bristled at the injustice of having their country's new laws dictated by their landlords. They worried that by the time the Philippines was finally granted its independence, the political and economic odds would be completely stacked against them. Benino Ramos was particularly troubled by that imbalance of power and by the Philippine Senate's apparent acceptance of prolonged U.S. rule. He wasn't a tenant farmer, though. Instead, he was a former clerk of the Philippine Senate, one who had fallen out with the body's president. Nationalist leader Manuel Quezon. In 1930, Ramos started a grassroots movement called Sakdal, a Tagalog word meaning to accuse or to strike. He founded an organization and a newspaper bearing that name, and the purpose of both was to publicly accuse government officials of working against the best interests of the country and the common people. Because of that betrayal, Ramos urged his followers not to participate in the corrupt government in any way, neither by holding office, nor by voting, nor by paying taxes. His rhetoric was so compelling that Filipinos from all walks of life joined the movement, and by 1933, the Sakdal organization had enough members to constitute a political party and perhaps effect real change. Candidates of the so-called Sakdalista party ran on a platform that prioritized the welfare of the working class. They pledged to distribute land to landless peasants and to crack down on political corruption and favoritism. The party also directly opposed the policy of the nationalists in power. The then-current government was content to accept a gradual independence over the course of another decade, whereas the Sakdalista party called for an immediate end to U.S. imperialism. Despite that rather ambitious platform, or maybe because of it, the Sakdal movement did quite well in the Philippine election of 1934, securing a number of seats across the country. It wasn't enough to wrestle power from the Nacionalista Party, but support for the movement was strong enough to inspire confidence in a more drastic form of action the following year. The timing of the Sakdal uprising was carefully chosen. It occurred just two weeks before a new constitution was set to be ratified, 
one that would provide for a transition government to last for a further decade. Ramos explained the Sokdal's rejection of that plan, writing, quote, By saying that they will recognize independence in 10 years, the Americans are doing nothing more than suppressing independence agitation for 10 years. They have over and over promised to recognize our independence and have always broken their promise. So why should they be believed this time? We have affirmed that at whatever cost, we must secure independence by our own strength. Ramos selected May 2nd as the day to demonstrate that strength because he knew the attention of the powers that be would be focused elsewhere. Senate President Manuel Quezon was off hobnobbing in Manhattan. Acting Governor General Joseph Hayden was far north on an inspection tour. And Major General Frank Parker was on vacation in China. It was the perfect time to strike, and Ramos refused to waste it. That evening, bands of Sokdals, many of whom were armed, stormed the towns of central Luzon. They took control of numerous government buildings, cut communication lines, lowered the American flags, and asserted immediate Philippine independence. Some light gunfire was exchanged between the insurgents and military police detachments in several locations, but the bulk of the fighting took place at Kabuyao, on the south road between Manila and some U.S.-owned sugar plantations. The several hundred Sakdals stationed there fought under the command of a woman named Salud Algebra. Together, they had taken over her hometown, seized the weapons of six U.S. sailors, and fought off the local police force. However, once the military police arrived, the Sakdals quickly lost their advantage, and dozens were killed in a one-sided firefight. Salud Algebra managed to survive, but was quickly arrested. She was later tried, convicted, and sentenced to ten years in prison, though she wound up only serving two years before being pardoned by her enemy, President Quezon. As for Benino Ramos, he evaded capture and went into exile in Japan. Meanwhile, back in his home country, the movement he had started was declared illegal and disbanded. About a hundred lives had been lost in the ill-fated uprising, and no lasting change had been achieved. Still, there are many who'd argue that the campaign wasn't a failure. Future peasant rebellions would carry on the fight against oppressive landholders, both before and after Philippine sovereignty was restored in 1946. The Sakdal uprising succeeded, not because of what it accomplished, but because of what it started. Because as Salud Algebra once said, no uprising ever fails. Each one is a step in the right direction. I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you want to keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can always send them my way by writing to thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays and Ben Hackett for producing the show, and thanks to you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. I'm Diosa. 
And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at First, first Listen. Listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 